final episode in the mini-series. So this is the final chapter. Today we have quite a few guests in the room, so I'll have them go around and introduce themselves. If you haven't listened to parts one through four, I highly recommend that you do that before coming back and listening to this one, just to give some background on the conversation that we're going to be having today. Um, we are also here with Carl. Welcome back, Carl. Thank you, Lindsay. And today we're here with Becky Holscher. She is also not a stranger to the podcast. Hello, Lindsay. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Let's go around the table first, and we'll start here, and then everyone can introduce my name is Tim Crop with Crop Make Cap Services out of the Washington, D.C. market, and I've been in the industry for over 35 years. Welcome. Thank you. My name is uh, Andrew Ozer. I'm also with Crop Make Cap Services and been in the industry for 25 years. My name is Steve Miles with Jerry Kelly Heating and Air Conditioning out of the St. Louis, Missouri market. I've been in the industry 25 years. Vince Gillette with Gillette Air Conditioning Company in San Antonio, Texas, and I've been doing air conditioning full-time since 1981. Got some great folks here. Go ahead. I'm Becky Holscher and I work for Emerson Copeland Branded Products and I've been in the industry for 17 years. I'm Mitchell Crop with Crop Metcalf. I've been in the industry for over 50 years. My name is Brandon Miles. I'm with Jerry Kelly out of St. Louis and I'm just starting in the industry. See, we've got everyone from the beginning to hanging out for a while in the industry. All right, so let's go ahead and get started, Becky. All right, Carl, you want to start us with the science of livability? Yeah, um, today we're trying to um, expand on the term livability, which we, we would like to think is an all-encompassing term uh, of, in, as it relates to HVAC. You know, previously uh, it might have been just, hey, it's just cost, first cost, and that's all I would meant. Then maybe energy efficiency, but Livability encompasses not only cost and efficiency, comfort, humidity control, think about outside air requirements, how do you solve a customer's problems with hot and cold spaces in, 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 in his home or, or in an office building, uh, think about health, you know, particulates, there are a lot of people with asthma in this country and how can we, uh, via good, good filtration systems and, and and sensing for, for particulates, how can we help with that? But, you know, productivity. If, you know, if, if the, uh, the environment is very comfortable and, and healthy, the you know productivity in a business should improve. And and then you know also the environment. So we're going to talk about these things and and and, and ask this uh, very informed group here. You know, how much and, and how are they incorporating those other elements in their in their sales process when they're both for commercial and residential applications. Carl, you know, I think one of our challenges here is the consumers do not understand what comfort is. They've never experienced it. It's always been heat and cool uh, or, or, or bits and pieces of what you've covered there. So I think there's a, still a tremendous learning, uh, a tr uh, educational side of this that uh, we're missing uh, so that they'll understand, they'll want, and they'll feel it. But uh, I don't think we've done a good job at, at uh, them understanding what comfort is. You know, uh, Mitch, for those people I've talked to, uh, be it homeowners or in the commercial environment, where they've gone from a simple on-off system to one with modulation, be it a two-stage mechanical modulation or variable speed, 
they are amazed at how much more comfortable it is. They, they used to notice the system would kick on and there'd be a blast of cold air or hot air and now it's, it runs more continuously. It helps eliminate the hot and the cold spots. They, they almost don't notice their HVAC system anymore, but they know they're more comfortable. And that's, that's the message we have to get across to folks. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you say that because in surveying customers and talking to them, they don't want to know. They just want it to work. They want it simple. They want it to work. And it's I think it's incumbent on us as the professionals to be able to solve those problems for them because they've all got their own issues. They've got to take the kids to school, to soccer games, to softball practice. They've got busy lives. They don't want to have to educate themselves on our industry. It's incumbent on us to be able to deliver comfort. And it's nebulous. Comfort's different for everybody. You ask my wife what's comfortable, it depends on the time of day or night. And same thing with me. It, it's humidity control. It's temperature control. But that's the stuff the uh, consumer, they just want it simple. They want it simple. They want it to work. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail right on the head because uh, we think it's really cool to talk about all the technology and all the gadgets and all the features and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's cool in our world, but in their world, they just want to be able to go to bed at night, have a good night's sleep, get up refreshed, feel comfortable, uh, get into work, have a nice environment to work in, to be productive, to be able to give their best every day. And, you know, sometimes we lose that, when, and we've lost that in the past of trying to talk about all the features and the bells and the whistles, but in reality, they just want to feel comfortable, and they want to be healthy, and they want it to be safe. So explain to us how you explain or know what they're looking for then from a consumer base. I am going to divert that straight over to Andrew, who actually handles our sales process. And, and actually, you know, we've been doing this for a number of years. We, we had to have a unique selling proposition, and what we did was... We went away from energy efficiency years ago and the, uh, the features and the benefits type of selling to a solution-based sales process. And Andrew's put together a program we've been using for years, and uh, it's it, the results have shown. Uh, the graph for our sales has been been great on the replacement market. So uh, I'll let him share a little bit more about the in-depth uh, of what we do. Well, I guess the, the history started with um, Crow Medcalf getting involved in building performance about 22 years ago. And the mindset in building performance is ignoring the equipment and focusing on everything else. Um, and so obviously the equipment's important, but if you're hooking the best equipment in the world up to a poorly performing duct system at home, what are you going to do? It, it's never going to work right. So we, we, we transitioned that and started um, sort of evolve that into talking about comfort, health, safety, and energy efficiency in that order. And at the end of the day, we found, as we developed our sales process away from consultative, good, better, best, talking about you know features and benefits that honestly customers just don't care about, what we found is they want comfort, health, safety, and energy efficiency and, you know, they don't care about energy efficiency. You'd go into a home and say, you know, hey, what would you really like out of a new system? What could we make better? How could we make your indoor environment better? And they would say, you know, that uh, I just wish my house would cool. I don't care that I'm paying $600 a month if it just cooled the dang house, if I just had, you know, uh, lower humidity whatever the issue is. So the efficiency side is the least important is what we found. So we just stopped talking about it, trying to compare this seer to that seer to this seer. Um, and so when we go in a home, uh, and this is probably the last 10 years, the sales reps will spend 90% of the conversation is about 
that we have with the customers about comfort, health, safety, and energy efficiency. Comfort, health, and safety. What do you want your indoor environment to be? What do you want to come home to? And the customers love it. And as as you know, Steve has said earlier, you know that's they're, they're, they just want it right. They don't know the questions to ask of what right is. So we would get in and have that conversation, and customers would be. You know, we found we had very, very happy customers, and now we're getting our technicians to do it, ask the same questions when they go in for a maintenance check. Um, and even, you know, it's even more successful because the customers are very, it's very easy to talk to them and create a relationship when you're talking about what's wrong with my indoor comfort. Okay, that's from a residential standpoint, but from a mechanical standpoint, from a commercial aspect, how do you get the building owners and the facility managers engaged in what's best for the building itself or the individuals inside? Wow, that, that's, that's <laughs> a pretty big, all-encompassing question. I guess from a, from a, uh, a change-out standpoint, we have to do a really good job of educating them what the equipment that we will be installing in the future because with the advent of two-stage equipment being available in commercial package rooftop equipment, the units are running longer. So we want to run them, the units so we have the filtration so that we bring in outside air. We're, we're also filtering the air. We're also managing that humidity so they're seeing the systems run longer. And they're saying, hey, we're spending too much money. We're doing this and this and this. On the commercial side, they are very concerned about energy efficiency, but they're also concerned about uh, their employees' health. So we have to do a, a uh, an in-depth job explaining that the new system we're installing is going to run longer, the new system that we're installing is going to run, and here's the reasons why. Back at you, Carl. Got any other questions over there? We that's well, I, I could, I could, on You know, I could ask some more questions in, in uh, I'm curious about with first I'll start residential and then I'll go to commercial. But residentially, how, how much how much time uh, how much of your uh, equipment is in a higher sear environment and um, two stage of variable speed compared to ten years ago? Um, well, we typically are looking at the higher efficiency products, not necessarily because of efficiency, but because of all the, the solutions they can provide to the customer's concern, concerns. I mean, with the humidity control, the variable stages uh, of output that they have for it, those things solve a lot of our customers' problems. We don't necessarily talk about all those things. We talk about how it solves the initial problem they have of not being able to sleep at night or um, constantly having sore throats or uh, things of that nature. Um, so we, we focus on that and the solution to those happens to come with the majority of the higher end product. Vince, I want to come back to you and I know you do a lot of a lot of schools. I don't know if you do hospitals at all and can you compare and tra contrast that where you're, you're looking at a major retrofit on a, in a hospital or maybe putting on a new hospital things that you're looking at today versus you, you weren't so interested in 10 years ago? Well, it, it, it's all about, you know, capacity. And so the amount of outside air that you're bringing into the building and and how we manage that. And so with, with the amount of outside air that we bring, we have varying loads in the in the space, that, that, that being the people in the room versus 
a high load capacity and a, and a low load capacity. Use the classroom as an example. The classroom's full and we need X number of CFM of outside air to manage for the children. And when the room empties, we still have that same amount of outside air coming into the room, so we have humidity issues to deal with. So the advent of the additional CO2 controls and managing those, that process so that we, they call it demand ventilation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we've been able to do with chill water is manage the discharge air temperature all the time in order to manage the humidity. And with, with direct expansion equipment, that's been a problem because it's been an on-off compressor or multiple stages of compressor. The, the big thing for us in putting in uh, DX equipment now, we have variable capacity compressors and we have variable or two-stage capacity compressors so that we can keep the compressors on and dehumidify the air and, and manage that capacity with the load in the space. You know, we have folks here from, you know, all over the country, but in particular, uh, uh, St. Louis as, as well as Washington, D.C., as it not only gets hot, it's pretty humid in those locations, too. So, Steve, how, 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 how much do you get an opportunity to sell up to uh, improve dehumidification opportunities? Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Probably half the equipment we sell is two-stage equipment, and it's simply because of that reason. The comfort and... There again, the public doesn't know. They think it's a temperature issue. They don't realize that a little bit of humidity can change the comfort way more than a degree or two of temperature can change the comfort. So by using the multi-stage equipment, and honestly, I don't look at air conditioning unitary equipment as a dehumidification product. It does dehumidify, but in extreme situations, you need to add a dehumidification component for those days when you don't need the cooling, but you need to remove the humidity. And that's just a balance there again. It's educating the customer and then making it a simple solution that they don't have to worry about it. And the controls, the new digital controls, take care of it all for them. Going into the digital controls, that's changed over the last few years, right? It's more prominent, prominent now in the household compared to what it used to be. When, when do you feel the change occurred? Like how many years? Do you think that this has been progressing? Oh, I, from the old mercury bulb thermostats, it's been an evolution. It's been over the last 20 years. As the technology gets better, it's been incorporated. And uh, it's also generational. The older people <clears throat> don't necessarily want the Wi-Fi connectivity, but they do want the comfort. So you give them something along the lines of an easy reader. Digital performance, relatively simple to use. And there again, it gets back to simple. Some of the old programmable thermostats, you almost had it have a PhD to program the dang thing. It's like the old VCRs that flash 12 o'clock. They want it simple, they want it to be able to work. On the other hand, you get uh, anybody, and somebody uh, older generation, but the younger generation come, they want the Wi-Fi connectivity. They want it on their phone. Why, I'm not sure. I've got it on my phone. The first week it was really cool. After that, I might look at it once a month or so, but it's there and I can look at it and change things if I need to. So the key to the controls is definitely flexibility and understanding your customer base. That's a good way to put it, yes. How do you see the next five years going forward? What do you see in the technology changing or some of the uh, barriers or some of the things that we have to keep up to date on or maybe have to be challenged upon? I, I think the connectivity is going to be more and more intrinsic in everything we do and the diagnostics 
technicians, everybody knows that hiring new technicians is an issue. And when you can have a piece of equipment that diagnoses itself, it's going to increase the efficiency of what we do. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, I think we're going to have to look at with the reduction in the amount of people coming into our industry, we're going to have to make things simpler uh, and, again, more of the system doing the diagnosis, the system doing some of the, uh, the startups, things of that nature to, to help the lack of people that we're going to be having in our, in our industry. Uh, in addition to that, I think the connectivity side of it, um, um, with the Amazons of the world, the Google and things like that, I think those are going to become major players that we're going to have to uh, understand and we're going to have to have to adjust and adapt to to how they're going to influence our industry. Um, fight it as we might. I mean, they're they're going to be players. It's just a matter a matter of when um, that they'll be doing that. So, you know, I, I think the one thing that that's coming, it's here, but it's going to be more prevalent is is the lack of we talk about connectivity, and to, to say it, it, it's the wireless connectivity. I don't think, in the future, I think that us connecting the indoor unit with the outdoor unit with a wire to a thermostat is going to disappear, and it's all going to be via Bluetooth or, or some other uh, means of connectivity, and the, the understanding of that process for us is going to have to increase much quicker, so it, but we as technicians will have to be able to manage that. Well, and with um, with all the houses that are built already built, that that is the limiting factor to how how fancy this equipment can get is the connectivity. If you can't run a wire out to a new piece of equipment, whether it be a condo, a home with the finished uh, lower level, or buried wires and drywall, the wireless connectivity is the barrier to putting the higher efficiency multi stage equipment in. When you look at, you know, when I look at this and selling the equipment for 25 years, you know, the two-stage equipment 25 years ago was the, the, the rare one. That's the rare thing you put in the top-end system. Now two-stage is, it's standard. It's, it's the, just where you're starting off to, the, to, the, to getting upgraded equipment. And the staging, the multi-stage compressors is truly what has improved comfort, health, safety, and homes. No matter what else you do, you have to have variable speed with a two-stage plus. So now we're looking at three-stage, five-stage, full inverter, full modulating systems. So as those become more and more prevalent and moving down into the, even, even the base systems, I think that's the humongous change I'm seeing moving forward is the equipment um, is going to be, it's going to be in everyone's home. You, you know, know it's, it's interesting that our cars all have it with you know 110 different error codes, and they can tell every, everything, and they can do it, monitor it remotely, and you know, yeah, the technology exists in our industry to do that, and uh, some of the folks in this room have participated in, in that, and be it residentially, but if, you know, through the cloud-based monitoring, you can see what's wrong uh, with the, the piece piece of uh, HVAC equipment. And, um, and have a good idea of what component. You know, think, think about how you talked about lack of technicians. If, if we had more and more systems, either residentially or commercially, being self-diagnostic, be able to communicate the problem through the cloud, your technician would even already know what's wrong with the equipment before he goes out on the job site, maybe even stops by, has access to online inventory at the supply house, so he, he doesn't go to the job site, diagnose, call around, try to find the part. 
He's, he picks up the part on the way. Well, there. it helps us actually send the right guy out to in the first place, so that we save everybody time. Nobody wants to take time off from work to sit around and wait for a technician to get there who either didn't know what what he was looking at, or it's a little bit above his head, or needs some ad additional help, or takes more time to diagnose. I mean, when it sends him that, we can send the right person with the right part before we even get out there, and we can save everybody time and money by being more efficient. It's almost like triage, so you can exactly. assign the right technician exactly. to go do that. Especially with the technician shortage that we have coming up. I mean, we have it today, and it's only going to get Well, that's, that's, a, that's the uh, dichotomy here. You've got more complex, higher-tech equipment coming out, and you've got a lack of qualified technicians to work on it. You have to bridge that gap that knowledge gap somehow. But will that technology, that new technology and those new cool things that are coming out, is that what the millennials are looking for? Is that something that might drive them to our industry to seeing all that updated technology? Hoping so, right? It might be cool for them to, to do that. Well, uh, we have so. a millennial on board. Probably not even a millennial. He's I'm the younger next, than a millennial. Not even a millennial. His name's Brandon. Steve Miles. Third generation with Jerry Kelly. Third generations. So tell us what you see over the years. What do you expect going forward that could attract the younger than millennials into this industry? Oh, that's a good question. Honestly, I, the advancement in technology is the only thing that I can see attracting more and more millennials because as time has gone on, you see more and more younger generations getting into computers and programming. And if you make these new systems so they're self-diagnosable and you need someone to be able to program that, I can see millennials getting into this. So more gaming. Well, I guess. It, more right? gaming problem, aspects. Problem solving online and not having to physically go to a place. Yes. I can see that attracting more of the younger generation. Then we got Mitch here, the, the top of the, the line of, what, three generations in yours as well? Mm -hmm. And, yep, um, going that route three. And yeah. you've seen you've seen a lot of changes over the years, and um, we talked earlier about advice and training your son, and now his your son's training his son for the industry. I mean, what some words of wisdom you could offer up to the people listening as to what we should be promoting and mentoring in the future generation? Well, you know, I've always believed in trust, honesty, and. Doing what you say you're going to do it means so much to people, and 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 especially the people that uh, are working with you, or working for you, or your team member, and so forth. So you know, it, it's it's standard. It's wisdom is, you know, uh, be truthful, be honest, and do what you say you're going to do, and hire the right people. If you've got good people around you, good things happen. And, and I've always said that good people are good, but get the best people. You know, good, better, and best, we promote that. You have that in people as well. And if you seek out those good people, it's good things and best things, great things is going to happen. And that's really what has happened to us. We've associated with good people. And, you know, it, it goes into your, your suppliers, you know, hired. I mean, when you work with them, you build a relationship, and you you, you stick with that relationship, good and bad, and uh, it, it 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 it's there. It, it it's part of your success story, and that's what ours is. That's great. That's kind of two major viewpoints here. I mean, it, it's somebody that's been in the industry for a while, and somebody that's going to enter the industry. And I think we all need to 
take note of those two definite words of wisdom here. Yeah, I find it interesting, Becky, that you know, you've been very involved with vocational schools, uh, particularly the last couple of years. And how do we get more kids into, into the programs? I'd like to <coughs> hear the opinions of the, of the group here, what, what you were doing to recruit and train uh, new technicians in your, in your areas. So we have a, one of our school districts actually now has just brought on a, a vocational high school. And so I'm on that board with them and they have an, an electrical group, a plumbing group, an HVAC group, and uh, they have architects and engineers and, and they have to apply to join the school. And uh, they're, they're doing this training as, as high school curriculum now and they're graduating that high school moving on to college for mechanical engineering at least in my my world and uh, they're also coming into the field we've we've now accepted or gotten their their program accepted with the department of labor so as high school kids they can work for us in an apprenticeship program on the weekend uh, on the summertime and after school if they're if they're uh, thing allows it if their uh, course courses allow it and so they can work as 16 and 17 year olds in the field with our technicians learning the trade it's it's really really a step in the right direction that sounds interesting and I know I'm signed up to come visit so you I'm, are. I'm looking very forward to that trip so yeah. that's ironic I didn't even know about that but we we're actually doing the exact same thing we were part of the high schools um, in Prince William County and we have an internship program where the kids come in during spring break, uh, fall break, over the summer, and after school when, when they can. And they um, get their OJT going on through there, and they're in a program there at the high school. And after they graduate from high school, they will automatically qualify to be in year three of the uh, state apprenticeship program. We have our we have an approved state apprenticeship uh, school uh, through our through our company. They can jump straight in into year three, so they have two more years of continuing education before they come out with the journeyman's license, um, and then they'll also be Nate certified. Part of the program is to become Nate certified with it. So, it's it's a great avenue. Uh, we just started it um, uh, earlier this year, and. Um, to, to sit down with the parents, the teachers, the guidance counselors, and students. It was very eye-opening to see how how much interest there was in it. And then actually talking about some of the simple things, um, and I'll pick one, and that was driving. And the kids with drinking and driving in a DUI, we and, and talked to them and said, you can't work for a company that is going to put you in a vehicle and drive around town if, if, if you have a DUI, you're, you're uninsurable. And some of the lights went off like, holy moly, that something like that can affect me being able to get a job. In so the it's the soft so, skills, it's so, not just the technology yeah, behind yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't just necessarily the technical side of it, but it was the whole aspect of, of getting into the workplace and how, how do you enter that workplace and what are the things you need to think about beyond you know, heating and cooling or plumbing or whatever it might be. That's great. Anything else to add to today's livability and attraction and technician shortages and anything else while well, we're all here together and want to tell the people listening as to how they can help help us, help the industry attract new recruits or technology or explain to the homeowners or the business owners how they can 
Do you want to share all of our trade secrets? <laughs> <laughs> that was as long as this is not broadcast in DC. Yeah, don't sure. tell anybody. No. Just don't let it out of this room. Well, one of the things that I think, like Mike Rowe and uh, Cliff, Cl what, what the uh, postman from the old Cheers. Cliff Claver. What's his name though? It's John Rassman or Rass something. Like Rassman, Rassenbergers. Any, He's listening, by the way. So. <laughs> Sorry, John. But they've got it right. The, Unfortunately, most high schools today rate themselves and are rated by the general public on how many people they put through to college. There's a set of people that really college, I don't think necessarily will help advance their career. They would do better getting into a trade program. In this industry, and I think most people, you can make 70, 80, 90, 100 thousand dollars a year in this industry without trying very hard if you're good at it. And I don't think that word gets out. I don't think most people, when I, even back in the 80s when I graduated high school, most of the kids that went to tech schools were the troubled kids, and the teachers didn't want to put up with them anymore, so they put them on a vocational educational track. That's not right. It's not the case. That's not right. And I find that most post secondary tech schools are in the business of selling schooling. They're not in the business of screening qualified people to take the schooling. So they go through the schooling, they pass all the curriculum, yet in the end they're still not qualified to do the work. At least that's some, one of the problems we found. So we actually have a very rigorous testing program where we test mechanical aptitude. We'll hire people from outside the industry, whether it be waiters, waitresses, anybody that has a good personality and good customer relations skills will offer them the chance to become part of our team. Then we test them. If they got mechanical aptitude, we will pay for them to go to a tech school to get the education they need to get in the industry. And it happens all the time where I have employees come up and just thank me because they never thought they'd be able to live the lifestyle they're living right now and be able to take care of their kids the way they do. And this industry has that potential. It's we need to get that information out to parents and schools, but I think schools are biased against us because they rate themselves on how many kids go to college. Well, I think that the key to this whole series is science of livability and the KZ historical viewpoint, right? But I think from the science of livability, if we can express to these new the new tech, the new children coming up, the new tradesmen or tradespersons, that this is this is what you can this is an industry you can name your job. And we're willing to help you get to where you want to go. You just have to have the social skills, show up on time. You know, most cases drug-free. I know uh, Colorado and them are facing a, a, a problem with that right now. Um, but you know that, that we have to tell them what this this industry can give to others. And I think you guys have all shown some great aspects of how we can start with ourselves. You, you know, maybe if we have to add a new term to livability besides comfort and demonification and particular paycheck. And it's called a good career. It is. It was amazing, just to add, part of the school thing that we do is we do tours. They'll bring tours into the office to see, show the kids what, what they're talking about. And as we walk through the office, this is the accounting department, this is IT, this is uh, human resources, and you know, this is billing, and this is you know, on and on and on. We hadn't even talked about the service department and the dispatching and the estimating and then we get into the shop for the welding and the sheet metal and the other pieces. So literally, we, there's, a, there's a job 
for everybody within our business. Oh, exactly. So there really is a great spot. I think it's a great trade. It's a lot going forward. There's a lot been in the past. And I think with the technology and the new recruits, we can keep this pretty interesting for all. Well, and honestly, <clears throat> from a strictly educational business perspective, how great of an industry is this? Everybody needs it. Everybody's got it. You talk about comfort. Potential. Wait, they don't have it, right? <laughs> and, and you know what? There's a, there's, a, there's a famous KZ phrase, too. Summer happens every year. Yes. And uh, because of that, people need heating and cooling and, and, uh, and ventilation. And, and, uh, and thank goodness uh, 2018 had, has had such a good summer. All through the U.S., it looks like we have red throughout the map this year. So that's good for all of us. So. Got to love global warming, right? Exactly. <laughs> that one's probably going to get cut. <laughs> Any, anything else? Listen, make, make America great again without getting cut. <laughs> make, make, America, make America warm again? Yeah. Make America, yeah. No, I think that's good. I mean, you guys are the reason we're doing we're doing these podcasts. It's an it's an industry that deserves to have some some individuals, especially like yourselves, highlighted in it. So we just want to thank you again for making time to to come and chat and give us your thoughts and expertise. We really appreciate that. Um, so on that note, I'm going to go ahead and end this podcast. Thank you all again for coming and. You know, and I think it's about time to blow stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's time for that. <laughs> All right. Good job, guys. Okay, we're going to do some warm-up questions. You guys have known Carl for about eh, 20 years, probably minimum, right? So what we'd like you to do is uh, tell us how you and Carl first met, if you can remember that far back. Who wants to start us out? It had to be at a contractor advisory board meeting probably 10, 15 years ago at one of the industry conventions. And probably the easiest thing to remember is cigars and drinks afterwards. <laughs> How about you? How about Mitch? Mitch, you yeah. probably go back a little ways there. With Carl. Well, it, it has been uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And of course, when you meet Carl, you meet uh, a real person. Carl has been extremely involved in our industry and, and you know, he just uh, means a lot to this industry. And uh, I understand he's up for retirement and we're going to miss you, Carl. I won't be a stranger. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes back to the days of the advisory council uh, back in early ACCA or Comfort Tech days um, at one of the conferences. and. Uh, Got a chance to meet Carl, got invited to uh, one of the advisory councils, and it's been uh, a good friendship since. Good. So this is something that I probably have heard quite a few of them, but I want to see what your favorite one is. What joke or quote have you heard the most from Carl and you'll miss? <laughs> or you have it. It's his then, kids. It's his kids, absolutely. I mean, it's his children he's got on this planet. <laughs> All the little elements. And elaborate on with, that. With disease. With disease. Uh, yeah. No. Carl has literally millions and millions of children on this planet in everybody's backyard uh, via the Copeland uh, compressor, uh, which he got to do the model numbers with the Z uh, on the model numbers there for it. So it's, that's kind of funny how he always says that. And he says it in a new way every time we enjoy it. Well, every year the, the number grows. <laughs> now we're up to about 165 million kids. You're very plentiful. How about you, Vince? What's one of the 
things you can remember, uh, a quote or a, a joke that possibly you could tell, rated that it's PG, of course. <laughs> I don't think Carl shares the, the PG rated joke with me. <laughs> but what I will miss is, is being with him and, and hearing a, an old airplane somewhere and, and he'll be able to tell me what that is before it, before it comes into life. So we'll, we'll miss that. That's cool. So what was the best advice given by Carl for your life or business? You guys remember? Philosophical Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see, does that ever happen? Carl <laughs> <and> philosophy. <laughs> Live life with a good cigar and, and, uh, and a grand And a grand yeah. <laughs> All right, well. I think honestly, what, I mean, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. And that's what he told me, and that's the way he lived. So I, I agree with that. And as always, check us out at ac-heatingconnect.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Copeland Scroll.